For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Western history has led us to the most prosperous age in the history of humanity, and yet more and more our kids are taught to be ashamed of their country. Are you tired of Common Core, Howard Zinn-influenced revisionist history in our schools? Do you want your family to have fun learning about history that you can trust? Do you want your kids to learn to love history? Then drivethroughhistory.com is for you. The guys over at drivethroughhistory.com have created a world of entertaining, on-location, video-based courses for your kids. They've got ancient history, American history, biblical history, and world history. Perfect for all of you who find yourself homeschooling for the first time. It's fun, and your kids are going to love it. To learn more, head over to drivethruhistory.com forward slash Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, where they've got streamed courses and old-school DVDs, and you can use the code Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, at checkout for 20% off any order. That's drive, com forward slash Zuby. Go check it out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a comedian, an activist, and a well-known internet personality, and this is Jermaine Funny Main Johnson. Welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to a, a great, enlightening conversation. 100%, man. So I've done a real brief intro there, but for people who may not be familiar with who you are, um, tell them a little bit about you. I've been a comedian for 15 years, uh, always done, uh, I call it activism, but it's just, you know, a lot of over the years, just being in the school system, mentoring with kids, uh, working with our city government, uh, host a lot of their programs. Uh, I've worked in radio here locally for about eight years and always try to use the platform to, um, you know, to, to, to be a beacon of light to people and also just have fun and joke sometimes. Uh, I think my biggest claim to fame on the social media side in 2016, I started doing these college football reviews, which is religion here 
in, uh, in the Southern United States. And uh, the success of those allowed me to uh, talk to so many different people from different uh, spectrums of, of life, uh, a heavy conservative following. I have conservative values, but I'm by no means a conservative. And what you do you, know, what do you mean by that? That's that's an interesting thing to say. What do you what do you mean by that? Well, when you when you're black and you're in this region, the southern region, which is historically known for a lot of Jim Crow and open segregation, um, you still grow up with a lot of Christian values, but then there's also a distrust of I don't know how else to put it, the distrust of white people. Um, but you, you know, you live and you grow, um, and, and you learn to accept and to listen to people and you're not just listening to the horror stories that great granny and great aunt and grandma and them have, which they are legit stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so the conservative values come from, you know, I, I do love the second amendment. I love shoot the love Jesus, Jesus first, always, I believe in working hard for everything that you get. Uh, support our military, um, all of that. But then there's also a progressive side, you know, that, you know, that someone, me being a Gen X person right between that, you know, that mm-hmm. millennial line, you know, uh, also, yeah, I, I think a lot of Black people, even if they're Democrat, would tell you they have a lot of conservative values. Yeah. No, it's something that I find part- particularly interesting. Me, of course, I'm, um, you know, I'm from the UK. My family background is originally from Nigeria. And of course, I'm not an American, but I've got a big American following. Lots of Americans kind of tune into my podcast and see what I'm doing and everything. And I've always been quite fascinated with this sort of dichotomy that you're, that you're discussing, that sort of juxtaposition between having the conservative values that you named. But for example, you yourself, you said not necessarily considering yourself a conservative, perhaps based on the history of the area. Um, and I, I, find, I find that really interesting. And I've been following you on social media for a while. And I think your, your commentary on stuff is, is interesting because it's not, it's not the usual black and white binary. And I pardon the pun, right? It's no, you got a lot of people who, you know, it's like, okay, this person's just a, straight up leftist and everything is kind of, you know, down the leftist, progressive, left-leaning agenda on everything and they're anti anything that could be considered conservative or you get the opposite, right? You get, okay, this person's like straight right-wing, Republican, pro-Trump, pro-this, pro-that and like against the opposite. And it can be a little bit difficult sometimes to, well, seemingly, I think in real life it's easier, but on the internet it can be quite hard to find prominent voices who can understand some more of both sides of, of each side or who are sort of more, maybe they take a bit from this and they take a bit from that. So I, right. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. It's tough to navigate when you're trying to please people, mm. but when you come into your own, which I have, uh, it's, it's very easy. You, you stick to what you know. And I think right now we are in a, uh, I wouldn't call it divisive. A lot of people like to use the word divisive. I I think we've always been a little divided. But what I think is going on now is everybody is trying to get the W. You know, like they're all in for their side. They're all in for that side. Whether they left or they right. And the truth, we know, is always somewhere in the middle. You know, I like to leave 
um, space for myself to, you know, to, to call people out, you know, mm-hmm. on their BS, whether they're uh, Democrat, Republican or whatever. And, and a lot of calling out needs to happen. Uh, when we talk about the condition of a lot of uh, black neighborhoods here in America, and I'm pretty sure y'all see the same or predominantly black neighborhoods. Um, yeah, Democrats, y'all have had our votes for decades now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what have y'all been doing with it? Uh, but also on the conservative side, we know in Republicans, y'all help create these environments that we're in. So I got beef with both of y'all. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not definitely not about to, you know, just give my soul to either one. I need that space to be able to point the finger and speak up when necessary. Yeah. Why do you think more people struggle with that? I mean, I'm again, I, I'm not a I'm not a black American, so I can't sort of totally I can do my best to empathize with things. But I've never I don't understand, for example, the 90 percent plus voting bloc allegiance to the Democratic Party. Uh, that's something that I struggle to understand, especially given that I, I am aware that on a more sort of cultural level, black Americans in general are probably more conservative than lots of other demographics there. Absolutely. So I've always been quite, per- for years, I've been quite perplexed by that, by, by that thing there. I, I, don't, I don't really understand the allegiance. Maybe you can explain that. Well, again, it's... it's uh... Believe it or not, uh, ma- a major part of it is conservatism. Okay. Because we're like, look, this is what we've always mm. done. So that's what we are. That's conservative. That's interesting. Know, that's, uh, that's an interesting point. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's one part of it. But it also goes back to the mid 50s, early 60s, and trust issues where at that time, a lot of Black Americans were. Republicans. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why they like to talk about, you know, the party of Lincoln, this and that, you know, but then you had uh white flight uh from uh from the party and uh <laughs> the shift kind of changed. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the Democrats of the 50s and 40s back then, you know, the KKK mm-hmm. guys, they were Democrats, they would have been the Republicans of today. You know, because it's the Republicans of today that are uh, now protecting Confederate monuments and Confederate flags. So there was a shift uh, called the Southern Strategy Mm -hmm. uh, that Democrats use to lure black people over to the Democratic side from the Republican side. But once we came over to the Democratic side, uh, a lot of the white Democrats that were truly conservatives like, all right, well, we out. We'll just be Republicans. So it's all race um, related. And I think a lot of people, uh, we were going back to a point we were talking about earlier, why people, it's so hard for people to speak up uh, now. It it, it comes down to money and fear. Uh, A lot of people are scared that they're going to lose a job. They're going to lose opportunities. They're going to be, you know, their name is going to be ran through the mud. And, And they're not wrong. Yeah. And not wrong, you know. Well, I've, I've, I've been on the end of some of that, and I'm not you even know, American. So uh, me too. So <laughs> uh, when you're when you're a lesser person, they have that ability. Like if you if you're a teacher, but you're seeing something wrong, you know, and you're already you're only making like thirty thousand a year, and you're trying to hold on to that. You don't want to risk that, you know, just because you got a strong opinion about something. So 
I think social media is the game changer. Okay. Uh, people like me and you, we can have our own independent following. We can sell our own merchandise. We can raise our own money. Mm-hmm. And so we don't you know what, what can you say? Like <laughs> we got our own follow. We can get our own narrative out there and you can't hurt people's pockets when they got that going on, but they'll still try. Oh yeah. hundred percent. So I'm curious as to tell me a little bit more about your backstory. So tell me, did you grow up in Alabama? Uh, yeah, I've I lived here. I just turned 40 in August and I've okay. lived in Alabama my uh, entire life uh, between Opelika, where I was born, uh, Birmingham, where I was raised, and Tuscaloosa, where I was educated and, and reared. Um, but no, I, I know this state very, very well, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we are a state that has so much potential, but... Um, been held back uh, by mindset, you know, and a lot of we just need to be reprogrammed. Honestly, there's there's been a lot of lies that have been told um, to poor people, mm-hmm. whether they're black, white, Hispanic, Asian that live here. Uh, and some of the lies that I'm talking about is getting uh, poor white Americans to believe and trust in that Confederate flag. Man, that's a sense of pride. You should love. In reality, really not uh, poor white people. Slaves were actually taking your jobs. <laughs> you didn't own slaves because you couldn't afford to. Uh, but the rich people that did own slaves, like, hey, man, you fight for your state's right and you should love this thing. And that's what they taught, you know, in the books. And, and they preach segregation. And a lot of people have a segregationist uh, mind state. Um, on the black side, a lot of the lies have been told is that everybody on the other side is, is evil, you know, trust me, the politician, and I'll come in and I'll make all these promises. And here we are 60, 70 years later, (laughs) we ain't got nothing. So I think, um, the poor and not just poor, but the, the poor and middle-class people, black, white, all races, we need to be reprogrammed. We have to mature uh, in a political sense, in an economic sense. We got to re-educate ourselves. It doesn't matter if you're 20, 40, 80 years old, you know, you need to allow yourself to be uh, re-educated at this time. That's the only way out. I hear you. And what's it been, what was it like growing up? I mean, over the past, the past 40 years, how have you seen the situation change? What was it like for you? And I ask that largely because I think, you know, there, there are some people and, you know, there are even, even black people who do this, where people kind of think there's this sort of, you hear people these days use the term, the black experience as if, you know, every, as if every black person across the world, whether they're in, you know, Africa or Europe or the USA, et cetera, has sort of had the same existence and lived the same life. And it's like, no, it's, it's totally different. So I'm sure your background growing up in Alabama is going to be totally different from me growing up primarily in Saudi Arabia, but also here in the UK, right? It's totally different history, different culture, different place, different everything. So I'm really curious to know more about it. Well, here's, here's what we do have in common, no matter what continent we're on, uh, because of this uh, structure of race, uh, this construct of race, uh, we're Black before we're anything else. And you may feel that, you know, over in the UK, you know, when I walk in the room, nobody's um, guessing that I'm a 
athlete or or senator or a comedian or a judge. No, but they know I'm black. <laughs> so that's the first thing they that's where they that's the starting point. So the black experience, uh, there's so many. It's definitely the only monolith is our skin. But you're having a black experience in the UK. I'm having a black experience in Alabama. Some people are having a black experience in Australia, mm-hmm. but they're all black experiences and they're all beautiful. But it's like, yo, this is what it's like to have this skin in this situation. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is what it's like to have this black skin in this situation. And when we start talking, you feel that kinship like, dang, there's a lot of similarities, like no matter where you go. Yeah, and some people are probably more um progressive or open to you know uh diversity but uh here in alabama uh there's always issues you know it's historically always issues there's uh people who still to this day can't get loans uh don't own homes uh they get shut out of politics everything is done in the shadows behind closed doors and they can't get in those doors if they're black or they didn't play the game and they didn't go to the right school and they're not hobnobbing with the right person. So uh, hobnobbing, that just means mingling, talking, networking. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, we say that. Oh, okay. I don't know. (laughs) Cultural thing. Yeah, no, we we, we say that here. Yeah, yeah. But so it's, that's it, man. The black experience has had a lot of different ways and a lot of different places, but it's, it's always beautiful and it's always beautiful to hear uh, other experience. And I think social media is allowing us to see now um, different experiences across the world. And it's beautiful. Mm. I'm, cur- I'm curious about your thoughts on this phrase, the black experience. I mean, do yeah. you think that it's kind of, it's one of those things where I, I feel like I, I sort of know what people mean when they say it, but at the same right. time, I'm not sure if it's a really useful term. I mean, would it not maybe be better for us to just, rather than go in these sort of boxes and labels and constructs that we've kind of that have kind of been given for specific reasons historically to just talk about a, a human experience right uh, given that we're already world, saying it's individualistic yeah yeah in a perfect world i would mm-hmm. love to say that but just like i said a minute ago when you got this skin this this a big part of your experience yeah seeing life through black eyes now i do think some people use it in the wrong way Okay. Because they try to minimize another black person's experience because it's not similar to them. Oh, like, I get that all oh, the time. You, yeah, you know, <laughs> you, you, you don't listen to this type of rap or you this, so you're not black enough. No, that's BS. You're, you're, you're black and you're having a black experience. Like if you like NASCAR and you like to watch Seinfeld, <laughs> that's, that's your experience. But that's yeah, your yeah. black experience as a person who likes NASCAR. Mm. But I mean, don't you think that people use the term, and I think a lot of terms, this is, this, is, this is why I'm not a big fan of these kind of identity politics labels and this whole intersectional thing is because I think when someone says the black experience, as you've sort of alluded to, they tend to be referring to a certain narrative and trying to paint people in a certain box so that those who do not fit in that box, they can say, oh, you know, this person, they're black, but they're not black, right? I've had, I've had people tell me I'm African, but I'm not black. And I'm like, my my yeah, name is yeah. my, you know my name is Unzubi Chukuli Sebuka Udezwe. Like you're not taking you're not taking that. 
I'm like, I'm like, no, like you might not like how I vote. You might not like my views, but like, yeah, come on. Like, come on. Like, right. I'm looking and, at myself. And, and, and again, that, those are the people that need to reeducate themselves and reprogram yeah. themselves and stop trying to make the black experience closer to what they know mm. and open your mind to learning about other people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think politically and, um, People have done that to try to push agendas. Mm-hmm. And I, I, mean, I can still have a conversation with those people because they're having a Black experience <laughs> as a person who is seeing the world in the wrong way, but it's still their experience. So you get so many experiences, but I, I would always encourage people to not you know, come down on anybody with Black or brown skin uh, because they're different from you. We've got so much that we can, should, and will learn from each other. So uh, I think, yeah, and just like in, in the context, in a negative context, I think the Black experience, um, it, it turns a lot of people off. But in the right context, in the open context where you're trying to teach and learn and educate other races about a Black experience, mm-hmm. different Black experiences, I think it, I think it's powerful. Yeah. Now, it's, it's interesting, I mean, because... Like, I'll tell you something very, very real here. And uh, do you know who I have received the most racial hatred and racial epithets from? I already know. It's black people. Black Americans specifically. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, not, not even, not even like in the, not even like, you know, people in, not, not people in the Britain, not people in, but like black Americans specifically. I mean, I, I get a, I get a lot is? of love too. Yeah. But, why do you think that is though? Well, man, um, I think it's because. I, th- I think it's quite a few things, to be honest. I think, firstly, I think a lot of Black Americans view themselves as the only Black people in the world, right? It's like a lot of people have a very myopic worldview where it's like they, when they hear the word Black, they think Black American, and they forget right. that you know Black Americans are less than five percent of the global right. Black population, so they're not thinking about people in Africa, people in Europe, people in South America, etc. And then also, I guess with some of my some of my stances and positions are are different right and again not even like different is in there totally rare as in like i'm the only black person in the world with these with these values at all you know i mean the it's 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 odd because you know people call me you know a, a black conservative or a black libertarian and it's like people say it often as if that's like a, a unicorn like a totally rare breed and i'm like have you heard of africa like right. you, there's a whole continent <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole continent of like hundreds of millions of black conservatives, like who who are actually more conservative than what people call conservative in in the right. UK or in the USA, etc. So it's one of those things based on my own life as someone who's you know traveled to lots of different places and got this really global. I've got a very global view. I don't look at things just based on when I talk about things in general. I'm not just talking about the UK or just talking about the US. I'm, I'm generally talking about you know, a more sort of global perspective. And I think a lot of people don't get that. So some of the things I say, they interpret, they interpret the wrong way, or they assume that it's got some, you know, malicious intent, or that I'm saying something that I'm not saying. And it can be, if people aren't willing to, you know, sit down and have this, you know, like we can sit here, have this conversation and understand each other's perspectives. But when it's just on social media or something, and there's no context and whatever, people just, they see one thing you say and they just sort of form this opinion. It's like, okay, this guy's a, an uncle Tom or a coon, or he's anti, he's anti black or he hates his own. And I'm like, 
what are you talking about? Like, I've never said anything anti-Black. I've never said anything, you know? I think a, a, a big part of it is uh, immaturity. Uh, I call it intellectual immaturity. Um, you know, you've got to read, you've got to get out more, you've got to just have different experiences personally for yourself across the globe, you know, whether it be traveling or watching documentaries or reading books. And a lot of people just aren't doing that. So they base everything around their personal experience, which in a lot of times is not a lot of depth to it. Mm. Um, And also you have to realize here in this country, uh, there's been a lot of damage done psychologically to uh, to black people uh, through marketing, through the marketing of white supremacy at a time, the time period after the Civil War and post-slavery called Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when the marketing really started to make black people inferior or permanent second or third class citizens in this country. So you still have a lot of that that permeates today because a lot of black people, um, they look at other black people through white eyes and through white, uh, white logic and through white uh, propaganda. And that's why even when I was young, and I'll be totally honest about this, uh, when I was young growing up in Alabama, we actually made jokes about Africa. Hmm. Believe it or not, there, there was a that was like a, a a well-known joking term. You call somebody an African booty scratcher, or uh, you know, we joked on like slaves. You know, people start working like yes, little master. Like we mm. we literally degraded our own people, and it was because of a conditioning mm. that we all grew up in, where we saw only white heroes on TV. And we saw the people living in the good neighborhoods, they were white, mm. you know, and we, yeah, all the presidents were white and everybody in power were white and all the college football coaches were white. So a lot of people felt like, you know, you've got to, the whiter it is, the better it is, the blacker it is, the worse it is. We got black people here now that don't want to live in black neighborhoods. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of propaganda that has got them to that point. And as people start to open their eyes and realize what they've been taught has been wrong and they start to embrace Mother Africa and and embrace uh, Afro-centric vibes and and culture, now there's a there's a time and I went through it myself where there's a there's an anger. There's an anger, like your eye, like, wow, y'all really did this to us, man. Like the government was in on there was this and that. And then here comes somebody like you who's saying, oh, white people are all right. Like, no, yeah, yeah. Like, no. I'm gonna fight these cracks, man. So that's what you're dealing with. But then you get somebody like me who got out of that phase, and now I'm on to, okay, our real uh way to get out of this hole is through self-empowerment and ownership and work uh, for ourselves. Um, So me and you going to have a different conversation, but for somebody who's still in that anger phase, their anger is justified. Their anger is just because they, we Mm. feel it every day. I could walk outside 
my house right now and go like two minutes to any direction. And I'll see like four black people begging for food. You know, the houses are dilapidated. And, and you start asking yourself, how did it get like this? Yeah. And when you realize how it got like that, you start being angry at the government and this white people who over in the in the hills living good. You're like, mm. And so when somebody's in that mode, you know, it's it's hard to have a conversation with them. Uh, but but they can still be educated and they can still mature. So I would say to people coming at you like that, believe it or not, man, a lot of them come in good heart, but you have to withstand the tide and still just educate them and show them, you know, what your point of view is. Yeah. And, and it, it's weird because the thing that weirds me out about it is the the message, like, you know, I mean, I, I know what's in my heart, right? And, and I know what the message mm-hmm. I'm trying to put out there is, right? And the message I put out there is very much about, you know, personal responsibility, self-empowerment, saying like, look, the government got you. Uh, even if I, like, if people want to talk about the government, I'm like, look, all of these things people are talking about. If you want to talk about the U.S. and you, you, you ask for examples of, say, you know, what people call systemic or institutional racism, people will talk about slavery. They'll talk about Jim Crow. They'll talk about segregation. They'll talk about redlining. I'm like, these are governmental policies. Right. So part of the reason why I'm more libertarian leaning in general is I'm like, look, all of the like large scale messed up stuff that has happened, like that, that comes with the government, like without the teeth of the government, you know, racism and all these other isms they're they're really just bad ideas. Right. Right. It's when, it's when, when the government is enforcing it and they've got, you know, the police on it, like, then that's like a real problem. And I'm like, look, I, I, I sort of agree on that part, but so to me, the solution isn't like, okay, let's keep looking to the government and keep sending our votes this way to, to fix it. I'm like, look, collect like individually, collectively, like, you know, make good decisions, you know, do, do the best you can. Like, look, look out for yourselves, look at your, your children, your brothers, your sisters, your community, your family. Like, that's my message to everybody. But I think actually the people who get most heated about it in a way are often the people I feel like who, who sort of need it the most. And I'm kind of like, man, of all the people to be coming after, like, you're coming after me. <laughs> like, I'm kind of like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm with you here. Like, I'm trying to, you know, I mean, I could just drop out. I could be like, you know what? I'm not an American. Let me just leave them to their thing, right? But at the same time, I'm kind of like, man, like, I want to see, I want to see people succeed. I love seeing people succeed. I love seeing communities grow, things get better. So when I'm kind of like, man, like, what's going on here? It, it, it's sort of this extra level of just like, Oh, why is it like this? <laughs> yeah, it's well, again, you you have to acknowledge their frustrations. Yeah. And just like you said, a lot of antitrust with the government, but you and I know um corporations have bought the government mm. at every level. You know, all you gotta do is look at their donor list. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you got the big banks and the corporations. Let's say, all right, let's take for instance a black person who lives uh, below the poverty line. He watches our podcast, you know, this podcast episode, and he's like, yeah, man, them brothers are right. I need to get out there, pick myself up by the bootstraps. I need to I need to make it happen. Mm. So he gets an idea, you know, to, let's say, house orphan boys or something. Mm. He goes to the bank, get a $5,000 loan. Because of zip code, he can't get the loan. Mm. He can't lift himself up by the bootstraps. Now he's frustrated again. So we've just got a system uh, that's working against us, that's making it harder and harder and harder mm. to get out of the hole. And 
because the, we can't get a hold of the resources. Yeah. How, how, how prevalent is that still? Like, what, really? So, cause, cause I'm, I'm curious. Cause again, you know, I'm here in the UK and the idea that I couldn't get a loan based on my, my zip code, let alone, you know, my, you know, race or ethnicity, like that's virtually unheard of. And, and if you, if you could prove that were the case, like you could sue them for a lot of money. Um, no, you can't. No, you Oh, no? now you can't, not here because okay. you're in government. And then okay. the people who are benefited from it are lining the government's pockets. So, mm. not, and, and if you, you know, if you're not a person with means, you can't afford a, a lawyer. You yeah. can hopefully get like the ACLU involved or whatever. Mm. But I could tell you, it definitely still goes on. Uh, I lived in the suburbs about two years ago. Uh, and I, file for my car insurance. Um, it was pretty low. I got a good deal. Uh, shout out to Geico. I don't know if they wanted to <laughs> uh, Yeah. Then I moved. Yeah. Moved where I am now, which is closer to the city center. This is a majority black neighborhood. Mm. And I had to change my address and my zip code on the insurance. What do you think happened? Boom. Automatically. Yeah. Same cars, same everything. Zip code changed. Yeah. Policy changed. Yeah. I mean, something like that, of course, though, I mean, to view it from the other side, of course, this is going to be partially linked to, you know, crime rates and poverty levels and things like that. So with something like that, I mean, what is the what is the solution? Something like that, because it's not it's not as simple as, OK, as, as you said, right, with your own example. Right. Because a lot of people paint the picture that it's like if you're black, you can't get a loan. Or like if you're this, and like you've said, you know, it's based on your postcode, based on this, it's based on that. But then you've got complicating factors like, okay, well, if you go to a postcode that does have higher crime rates or lower rates of people paying back loans or whatever, of course, the premiums are also going to be higher. So with something like that, I I don't understand, you know, I'm not a policymaker, but I don't know how do you... How is something like that fixed? Do you need to fix it by starting by making it more appealing by perhaps reducing the crime rates and fixing some of these things? Or is there, I, I don't really know what the solution to these things is. Well, the solution is, uh, is, is complicated. But if a lot of those people that are committing the crimes to get loans and start their own jobs and get better jobs, mm-hmm. they probably wouldn't be criminals. You know, so it's uh, it's 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 too it's very complicated. But I think the mm. people that put that system in place, they made it to be complicated. Um, I don't know the exact answer, but what we're trying to do here in Birmingham, uh, we're trying to mobilize on a citizen's level. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing, as you you follow me on Twitter, you'll see me put up like historical facts about Birmingham figures uh, every so often and then just have different conversations. So we're just slowly but surely, give, surely giving people uh, the information that they need to like, you know, to start uh, maturing and knowing certain things. Number one, knowing your history, know where you come from, know how, how why your city and your neighborhood is like it is. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to uh, educate and help mature people politically on a citizen's level. And once they do that, and we can get more people involved in the political process, mm-hmm. um, first off in your neighborhood association, 
then with your city councilor, then the city government. Once you know what's going on there and you know how to put pressure on these people uh, to get funds to your area, I think it could make a difference. Awesome. It's a big question, man. What do you think is the biggest problem facing Black Americans today in 2020? If I had to uh, put my hand on one, and I think it's so many problems, um, I, I think it's, it's, the, it's the organization and the involvement at, just like I said, at the, at the, at the lower levels. Um, a lot of people, when you got a lot of people that are just struggling to make it through the day and make it through the week with their families, trying and they're working multiple jobs and you know like i said they can't get jobs they're renting they don't own Mm -hmm. uh and you're trying to get these people to be active in a shadowy political process Mm -hmm. uh you know that leaves the door open for politicians to manipulate them uh, around election time and then do what they want with the money because the neighborhoods are not uh, and the community as a whole is not holding them accountable. You got some people that are out front fighting and we believe in these people and then they get up to a certain level and then they get paid off. Like, what the hell? We still <laughs> struggling. You know, so I think it's going to come down to people being re-educated and then getting, I think with the re-education, they'll get involved again and then we'll start um, asking or demanding change uh, through policy and through economics. You know, with me now, now that I know what I know, I watch where I spend my money. You know, I don't, I don't always run the public. I'm like, okay, where's the black grocery store that I can support? Where's the black business that I can go to? So I'm trying to let my money circulate within our community mm-hmm. a few times before I kick it out. And that's what we want uh, a lot of other black people to do. But right now, we, as one of the, the biggest problems, uh, we give our money to the enemy. And I'm not saying all white people are the enemy, but I'm talking about corporations. Oh, I was going to say, that was a... <laughs> yeah. someone, yeah. listen, someone listening, just wait, wait, what When you give your money to corporations that you haven't vetted and they don't pour back into your community, mm-hmm. you're, you're bankrupting your own communities and your own neighborhoods. And I get upset at people with influence who get on TV and like, yeah, rock, rock this Gucci, rock this Louis. Like, no, idiot. Y'all can be making black <laughs> designers rich. And then we know them and we can get them to hopefully invest back in the community. But if they don't, we'll hold them accountable. Mm. Um, I think it feels like every other community has figured it out. But yeah. <laughs> And, and I think there was a time when we did figure it out, but here in, in, in America, those communities were destroyed. Yeah. Like next year is the 100 year anniversary of the Tulsa massacre, mm-hmm. uh, Black Wall Street, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you're familiar with. So these were people who had figured it out, doing the right thing, and they destroyed it. And that, yeah. that happened in several states and over 20 cities. <laughs> so they killed our structure and made us dependent. So I guess that'll be my answer. Uh, I think the biggest problem for black, uh, wait, did you say black Americans or black people, period? I said black Americans specific. Okay, for black Americans, we have to get our independence back. 
our political independence, our economic independence, we have to get that back. That's our biggest problem, getting our independence back. Gotcha. I mean, how do, how do you balance this with... So I think one thing that, again, which, which confuses me, and which confuses me particularly more on the more on the left side of the political spectrum to be to be precise is there seem to be two quite diametrically opposed goals sort of being chased simultaneously which is one is very much a kind of integrationist movement shall we say right like wanting break, to break that down. sorry break that down the integration so what i mean you know like so people wanting to you know inclusion right so uh, moving away from um you know kind of just viewing people through this racial lens or viewing you know the white community the black community the the asian community like sort of just okay you know americans you know we've got inclusion we've got diversity we've got this we've got that tolerance etc and that's sort of being on on one hand it's kind of like you know, like you'd say on one hand, it's black Americans sort of saying like, look, hey, we want to be fully integrated right. into the American society, the political level, social level, cultural level, everything, every state, every city. We just, we want to be included in all this. And then you also have, to be honest, I think this has been going on for, for, for decades, right? It's kind of like the MLK versus Malcolm X thing on a very basic level. And then you have other people who are kind of like, no, we want like our own thing, right? We want to shop it black owned businesses. We want to have like our black community. We want our independence. You even have people talking of separatism of like, okay, no, we want our own. We want these states. And like, we want to kind of almost like self-segregate over here. And to me, these are, these are really, really different goals. I'm, I'm very much more in the former camp, but right. they're different goals. I can, I can understand from an empathetic perspective where they both come from, but I think that this sort of simultaneous chasing of both of them I think it is, is a little bit of a sticking point because I'm seeing what people are saying and what messages they're putting out. And I'm kind of like, well, which one, which one of these do you want? Do you want to be accepted and integrated or do you want to totally be sort of left alone and go do your own thing? Um, I don't know. And, uh, yeah, that, that, you're right. You're absolutely right. People do have those um, two different versions of it. And I'm with you. I'm definitely on the ladder. Like we... I think we should own before we integrate. Oh, okay. Gonna... Oh, I'm on the I'm on the former, not the latter. So you're on the latter. Oh wait. Okay. All right. So I, I'm I'm more, I'm more on the integration uh, side nah. of things. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Here's here's my thing. I think okay, once, once we own and once we establish our own banks and we have our own grocery store chains and we have our own movie theaters and our own economy, mm. then we can integrate. But I think one, if we try to integrate without owning anything, we're always going to be catching the short end of the stick. And, you know, what I mean by owning and then integrating is, OK, well, I got my bank and my money. So you want me to bring it to your spot? OK, cool. But if we just integrate right now, we're like, well, I just want to live in your neighborhood. Mm. But if you come over there and you don't own anything, now you're begging to be included in everything. Mm. And, I, and I think that's. That's crazy to me. I would love for the world to be all kumbaya, all together in love and happiness, but that's just not the case for my lifetime right now. Yeah. So we have other issues to make it better for the next generations. And you brought up Malcolm and Martin, two of my favorite. Mm. Uh, before they both were assassinated, they pivoted. 
Martin Luther King said he feared that he had uh, led his people into a uh, integrate uh, a burning house. Mm. As a, he he felt like he may have done the wrong thing, and Malcolm kind of pivoted uh, in his 1964 ballot or the bullet speech. Uh, he shout out Martin Luther King and all these Christian pastors at the beginning of his speech, and and he was like, you know, we need to put our religion aside and focus on what we do, you know, what goals we have alike. Mm. Uh, so he got off of that, you know, we need to be separated from each other and from, from white people and just focused on, they both at the end of their lives mm. focus on, we need to get our own, we need to own our own. Yeah. You know, we need to own, we need to, uh, Martin, Malcolm called it black nationalism. Yeah. That was his economic philosophy. Yeah. Uh, Brother Martin didn't call it that, but he, uh, he, he had some, his last couple speeches were really hardcore, man, about black people really owning and stepping up. And then that's when they decided, all right, yeah, we can't have this message out there. And they got rid of them. Yeah. Um, so I think once we own, it benefits us. It benefits the country. It benefits the, the tax base. Mm-hmm. And unlike historically, which has been done to us, Black people being empowered will not be at the detriment to other races. Mm-hmm. We're not going to step on each other. We're not going to step on another race's neck so that we can come up as has been done to us. We're just saying we're going to keep our money in between us and mm-hmm. so we can build up our own ownership. And then, yeah, then let us decide if we want to integrate after we own. Yeah, it's interesting, man. I mean, I'll be honest. To me, that sounds like a, it sounds like a big step backwards. How, how so? So, I mean, if you just, I mean, looking at, looking at American history and, you know, obviously segregation was something that people fought very, very hard to fight against. Right. And so when people come from the sort of separatist angle, it seems like, and look, I can understand the difference between the subtle difference between what people call segregation and what people call separatism, right. Depending on sort of who's propagating it. But I'm kind of like, Man, that sounds like a, a, a reversal of a lot of battles that were fought and won over the past few decades. And also, it begs the question of, well, if people are okay with black people doing that, are, are they also okay with white people doing that? Are they okay with... Because the, white, white nationalists exist, right? There are white nationalists out there who are listening to what you're saying, who are like, yes, absolutely. You guys go away and like, do your own thing. And like, that's what we want, right? We want white people to go away and do our own thing and have our own communities and spend money in our own like and we don't you know so they're kind of nodding and to me that's kind of weird it's like well you know i i have seen you know black nationalists on social media and white nationalists on social media and i'm like y'all are saying the same thing and that's kind of that's kind of weirding me out here i don't know i don't know how well, to yeah here's um here's and i'll go back to i'll try to be more vivid what i'm saying okay there's nothing wrong with ownership, uh, but white nationalism stops us from owning. Black nationalism would not stop them from owning. It's mm-hmm. just us pooling. It's, it's just group economics. That's all it is. But in white nationalism, it's we own everything and y'all are dependent on us. So it's like uh, um, if you went to uh, a house and you had three roommates, and everybody had their own clothes but you. 
So now when you move into the house, you got to borrow clothes from your three roommates. Mm-hmm. Now, all I'm saying is you get your own wardrobe, you buy your own clothes, and then you move into the house. Now, everybody can live in the house, but you don't have to borrow their clothes yeah. or, you know, or their food. So we're just talking about uh, ownership, and it's not to the detriment of the white community. We're not going to stop them from getting loans. We're not going to redline them. And, mm. you know, we're not trying to get into gerrymandering and control their votes. No, we're just... Sure. But I mean, a, a, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people would say that, I mean, black Americans are the richest black people on earth. They're some of the richest people on earth, period. Right. So a lot of people would say, and if you look at the laws, of course, you, this is different from, you know, it's not 1920 now, but in 2020, you know, that you could say that there is at least legally, legally, there is virtually um, equality of opportunity. And you've got millions of successful, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of successful black Americans out there. You're, you're not, you're shaking your head there. Yeah. So what, tell me, tell me, tell me where that's wrong. What, what law or because policy is. If, if they've stopped, um, if they've stopped black businesses from growing for decades, mm-hmm. just like you said, we are, uh, we do have a lot of spending power collectively, sure. but if we have that spending power, uh, and they stopped all of our businesses from growing, that means they're going to get all of the money that we're spending because we don't have any black grocery stores that we could spend it at, or we don't have black banks. Well, we do have black banks, but they're not as prevalent as, you know, majority white-owned banks. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we we got the money because we work hard, mm-hmm. uh, but they're on the receiving end of all of our money. It's not us. We're We're making the money because we work for them. Uh, if you look at the NFL, it's you could say, yeah, these guys are millionaires, but look who they're feeding. Mm-hmm. Look who gets the most money off of the NFL. There are no black owners in the NFL mm-hmm. uh, and only one in the NBA. So we're their, we're their economic base. Why can't we own or own our own league? You know, and but we're in a situation where we're set up to make them richer and then they oppress us and we still have to fight for basic uh, decency in 2020. So that's why it would look different if we had more ownership and they would be open like black colleges here, white people, Hispanic, anybody. They're, they're welcome to come. We've always had an open door policy, but with predominantly white tuition. It wasn't until like 50, 60 years ago where we yeah. were allowed to come to their institution. So uh, as long as they own, they control. Mm-hmm. And they haven't been doing the right things with the control right now. So I think we just need to get some ownership and a little bit of power uh, yeah. over ourselves and all this money that we do have. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really interesting perspective. And I mean, it's, it's, it's unique because, you know, firstly, the, the, firstly, the UK is really different. Like the, the, this whole, the whole one, of, I'll be honest, one of my, one of my things I much prefer about the UK than the USA is that there's a lot less racialism as I call it. I won't even specifically say racism. I think there's less racism too, but racialism, right? Like people don't see, right. You're, you're using the terms they and we, right? Yeah. Like in the UK, most people don't even, most people don't even speak like that. It's not really, it's just not thought of that way. Obviously the history is different. So I can That's- understand why Americans view things differently. Like, even here in the UK, like, I, I don't say I'm, I'm black British, 
right? People don't say white British, black British, Asian, people just say British. Whereas in America, people say black American, African American, white American, Asian American, et cetera. And to me, I, I, I notice these little differences when I'm in different countries or speaking to different right. people. And I'm like, man, I would, I would love, like, again, in my own perspective, I'm kind of like, man, I wish people could break out of the they and we thing, right? They and we and white and black and this and that, because I think it sort of locks people in that thinking. And, and also it can create, you know, I don't think it does this. I don't think it does this for you personally. I, th- I think you alluded to the fact that it used to historically, but I do see it creating or at least maintaining um, a level of animosity, right? Where people are constantly at each other's throats because it's always us versus them, us versus them, you know, victims and oppressors. And if you feel that somebody is genuinely oppressing you, then of course it makes sense to feel a certain type of way, right? It makes sense to feel, you know, resentment, anger, et cetera. And we, we've seen this now playing out in historically and globally, we see this play out in dangerous ways all the time. So a part of me, it sort of sets off these alarm bells of like, oh crap, like are, are people falling back into this like very sort of tribal thing that, you know, we was fought against for all these years and made all this progress. It's not perfect, but made a lot of progress. And then it's kind of going backwards again, back into the, okay, we're going to just split everybody down these arbitrary lines again. And there, there's that, that's that. That's, that's what I was kind of alluding to before, where it's weird how that's often called progressive or progress. But to me, I'm kind of like, that seems, it seems regressive in a way, even though I, I can get where some of it comes from. But to me personally, I would love to see I would love to see more so-called colorblindness rather than like oh. increasingly viewing people, just locked in viewing people as this is a white man, this is a black man, this is a white woman, this is a black woman. And so, and thus this I, and that, you know? I get it. I yeah. 100% and like I, in a perfect world, man, we all love to see Kumbaya. I don't see color. We don't, we all together, this and that. That's just not our reality here. Like it's it's dangerous to it's great to hope for that and work toward that. All of us should be working toward that. Mm. But it's dangerous to um, be naive to what our actual climate is right now. And it's very race based. Um, but don't you think people are making it that way? I mean, it, they made it that way a long time ago. We, yeah, we, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, black people didn't create that. Minorities didn't create that. I didn't choose to call myself an African American. That's mm-hmm. what we're called, you know, sure. Latino American, Asian American. So you have to place the the onus on the people that created that construct, you know, um, and they did it with a purpose, and their purpose was power. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted minorities to be permanent second class citizens. So uh, we know the language now of uh, segregationist, of mm-hmm. uh, racist. Mm-hmm. So when we hear the language, because we got uh, years of listening to it, when we hear people align with that language and they rock on the same symbols, uh, we're going to speak up. Yeah. But it never ended. The racism never ended. It just gets repackaged every generation. And like, okay, we can't say it like this anymore. We can't call them slaves anymore. So let's just call them sharecroppers. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can't call them sharecroppers anymore. Let's just, you know, create a lower class. You know, we, 
And so it just keeps getting repackaged, but we we see and we feel the effects of it every day. So, but, until, but it has greatly decreased, though. I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge that. Not enough. Not enough. We still. That's why we're still marching, and that's why we're still fighting. Because no, it's, but it's, do do you not see that that could? I don't know. I don't mean the marching specifically, but mm-hmm. do you not? Would you not agree that? I mean, I, I think, look, I think straight up in 20, again, I'm, I'm, I'm watching from a distance, mm-hmm. but to me, it looks like in 2020, race, race relations have gotten worse. It looks like they've gotten worse to me. No. I, Compared I would, to, say, even 2010. Yeah, or 20, here, or 2015. Here in America, I just don't think it, it ever really changed. Now, keep in mind, on a personal level, there are plenty of black and white and Asian people just getting along. Of course. Like their best Major- friends. Majority, yeah. Those weddings, that, that's happening Mm -hmm. but overall i can't rest on my personal achievements and say i've been successful i came up when i got cousins and family members and people in my neighborhood who are still struggling so as long as i'm seeing that there's still going to be a fight i can't rest you know while i'm seeing uh black people and brown people and poor white people being murdered by the police who we pay their salary. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's still a problem. And it's the frequency at which it's happening. Like, yeah, I love Black Lives Matter, um, but I don't think police should be killing anybody, mm-hmm. especially unarmed citizens. Like that, that is a problem and it's rooted in other problems. So we, we've got a lot of problems here, but you know, we're fighting to keep making that change, but that's just, it's just not our reality right now. Yeah. I mean, with, uh, with something you said there, I mean, I think what's, the, I'll, t- I'll tell you something that I find, something that I find concerning is that everyone, the last thing you said there, virtually everybody does agree with, whether they're black, white, Asian, Latino, Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever. Like I, I, I've, I'm yet to see anybody suggesting that innocent unarmed civilians should be killed more by police or that it's that are okay with it, with it happening. And I think that what's happened is rather than people kind of going up a level and agreeing on that universal agreement, people are getting bogged down in details that to me don't really matter, right? People are fighting. This person says black lives matter. This person says all lives matter and they're fighting. This person thinks the problem is due to training. This problem thinks it's primarily systemic racism and they're fighting, but actually they all agree on the, the sort of core fundamental thing, right? Like no, nobody is out there. Nobody's out there saying like the police should be killing more innocent unarmed civilians, whether they're black, they're white, they're brown. Like no one is, no one is on that. No one is with that. Yeah. But what they're saying is way worse. It's still a dismissiveness when it comes to black bodies laying on the ground that I would rather them say that than what they say. And what they say is, Soon as the black child or black man or black woman is killed by police, they go looking up their criminal record. Yeah, some people do do oh, that, and I'm not a fan. Yeah, oh, they deserved it. That's so dismissive. Mm-hmm. And uh, people saying all lives matter is so dismissive. It, I, 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 don't, that, I disagree on that one, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, you no, know, let me tell you, show you why it's dismissive because you didn't handle or you didn't address what we initially said. You just reacted to it. You know, if I if I say Black Lives Matter, 
Tell me how you feel about black lives first before you say anything else. Before you come back with no, all lives matter. No, tell me how you feel about black lives. Once you say that and you address that, you can talk about all the lives you want to. But you can't you can't go to a cancer research rally with the AIDS matter shirt. It's dismissive of the point that was brought up at first. Yes, AIDS is horrible, but the the person brought, you should have brought up AIDS on your own. If y'all brought up All Lives Matter back in the 50s and 40s, it would have been awesome. But you don't don't really care about all lives because a lot of lives are laying on the ground because of police. So what about those lives? Tell us about those lives, address those lives, then we can talk about everything else. But when you... Uh, just are dismissive is going to be a problem every time. Yeah. See, I think this is where the emotionality is stopping things from getting done. I'll be honest with you, man. Um, Cause like, man, there's a lot there. <laughs> cause I, I think like, cause there, man, there's, there's so much there. There's so much there. And again, this is what I mean with where I feel like, look, again, I don't know anybody who doesn't believe that black lives matter as a statement. Right. I know. Really? I, I, I'll have to, when we get off, I have to DM you some comments from the heart of Alabama. Okay. 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 Maybe, maybe, look, maybe, maybe I haven't been to Alabama, so maybe Alabama is like super hardcore in that sense. But like, I have not, I know people who disagree with the BLM movement. I know people who disagree with the organization, it includes myself. I know people who did, but in terms of like the basic statement itself, and this is a problem because it's like, it's it's such a given, you know, it's like if I have a, a movement called, you know, don't kick babies, like everyone, it's like, that's a given, you know, Black Lives Matter is, is, a, is a given. And I, I know why people say it. But when people say all lives matter, to me, it's like, again, I think, I, I think this is like a, a, a translation thing. To me, when I hear all lives matter, it's like, it's almost like, a yeah, of course, like all lives matter. Right? Of course, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're shaking. I'm, I'm telling you this. This is how I view it, right? This is no, how I, I view it. I, I know. Feel, yeah, yeah. I feel what you're saying. And I, and and, I, I honestly, mm. I think a lot of people say all lives matter with good mm. intention. Yeah, I of course. do. But they don't understand what they're really saying or what they're really reacting to. Is you're, that your translation, though? Or is that what they're saying? If you're saying no, you know they have good intentions. I'm, I'm, going off, I'm going off their actions and what we've seen historically. Um, this isn't just a new fight. We've been fighting against police for decades, Okay, decades, but now we've got the film and not only do we have the film, but these cops are killing unarmed, unarmed people Mm -hmm. on camera and they're still going home. Mm -hmm. They're still getting paid leave. Mm -hmm. They're not being prosecuted. So there's a lot of frustration historically. Sure. And all lives matter. It's just, it's just a cop. It's, it's, it's people don't understand what they're saying. You okay. got to, like I said, if you want to say all lives matter, you can't say it until you address the original statement. Yeah. That is black lives matter. You yeah, have but, to tell me how you feel about black lives yeah. being dead in the street before mm-hmm. you tell me about all lives. Because all other lives aren't dealing with what we're dealing with. But they are, though. If, if somebody would address 
how they feel about black lives mm-hmm. and then go into all lives matter, mm-hmm. I could listen. Do you not think but, that's, do you not think that's just very emotional though? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see how that's like, I, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, I'm a problem solver. Right. Like, and I, I don't think, I think this sticking point is like, to me, it's, it's juvenile. Right. I'm kind of like, well, why can't people just go to the thing they agree on? And also like, oh, look, two things, two things. Number one is we all know, look, I understand proportionality and stuff, but you know, 70, about what is it? 70% of the people killed by police are not black. Okay. Fact. And then what about when, the unarmed people? Do you have those numbers? Unarmed. So what? 15 unarmed black people were killed by police last year in the U S 15. I think that's 15 too many. Yeah. I don't disagree, but I think about 41, I believe 40, 41 or 40 or 41 white people were killed by police last year, unarmed, unarmed they, killed by police last year. So white people the, who are upset about white people being killed by police, y'all can yeah. come mark us at any time. Yeah, yeah, but but they won't. But under the Black Lives Matter, this is the problem because it's it's exclusive. And also a big problem, look, I'll be honest, my biggest problem with the Black Lives Matter movement is that it only is focused on police. Like I genuinely believe the statement Black Lives Matter, but I'm like, if we're going to have that conversation, rather than just talking about the 0.01% who are killed by police, like, what about everything else? You know, police are not even in the top 10, you know, probably not even in the top 20 killers of black people in America. So what about the wider conversation? And why, why does the movement, if a movement is going to be called Black Lives Matter, why can't it include other situations, even, even just other homicides, right? There's other things that kill people, but just in general, it's called Black Lives Matter. It's not called Black Lives Killed by Police Matters. I understand that. I do think that's important, but I'm like, what about the wider question? And if people don't want to address that, then it's hard to take it. It's hard to take it totally seriously. That's my own perspective. Cause I'm like, well, if you don't want to talk about the, the whole thing, then, cause even if we fix this, even if the, that 15 dropped to zero, you've still got the other 7,000 plus people who got murdered last year. Here's the deal of uh, the violence within our community uh, that doesn't have anything to do with police. We've, we've been addressing it for decades. You remember Marvin Gaye wrote, wrote a song called What's Going On? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was in the 60s. Yep. He was talking about it. You, remember, uh, you may have heard a record from the 80s, Self-Destruction. Mm-hmm. All of our famous rappers got together. Yep. Uh, you got a lot of organizations on the ground here in Birmingham, Chicago, Detroit. They've always been addressing. They haven't stopped addressing it. They're mm-hmm. still talking about it, still working on it. Uh, but I think the young ladies who uh, created the Black Lives Matter organization, they decided they wanted to focus on this one thing. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing that they decided that they want to focus on. And they decided that's what they want to name it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's their foundation and that's their organization. So that's their focus. You but, know? Then but can I jump in here? Because a lot of the yeah, people well, let, who... Let me finish, let me finish. Okay, I, go ahead, go ahead. Their movement also became a statement. Mm-hmm. Um, so under the statement, you know, people can, people, that's when people can argue, like, why not fight for all of these Black lives? When, mm-hmm. and honestly, like I said, there are many, hundreds of organizations that fight for that in America every day, but that's what those young ladies um, decided to focus on when they started it. So that's why it's the focus. Yeah. Okay. Cause uh, what you said there is interesting because look, I'm, I'm deeply critical of the organization BLM, which is what you're referring to there, right? The organization. 
And a lot of people, if I or someone else criticizes BLM, they'll say, no, we're not talking about the organization. We're talking about the statement in general. And if they're talking about the statement in general, then I think that my prior point is totally is totally valid, right? I'm not saying, okay, the BLM organization, if, if the BLM organization or foundation or whatever it is, very focused on police brutality and police killings, okay, fair enough. But if people out there on the street are saying, okay, we don't, we don't care about the organization, but like the general statement and movement is what we're fighting for and what we're marching for, et cetera. And I'm saying, okay, so let, let's widen the scope. Like I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, right? But I'm just saying like there, there's a much bigger a much bigger conversation to be had here. To me, it's kind of like, okay, if you've, I don't know, you, you've, been, you've, been shot, you've been shot nine times like 50 cent, but then you've also scratched your finger and everyone wants to focus on the scratch on the finger and ignore all the bullet wounds, then I'm like, what's going on here? Like, why, why can't we talk about the 99% of, of the wider problem under that same banner? Because I'm like, look, you're saying Black Lives Matter. I'm agreeing with the statement. I'm saying, yeah, Black Lives do matter. So like, can we, let's, let's talk about the whole thing. Cause there are, there's things that are political, cultural, social, et cetera. There's a lot that needs to be had around all of that, because that's a, to me, that's a much bigger, you want to bring down all of these numbers, but the bigger one to focus on and the much bigger target is, you know, the 7,000, not the 15. Well, again, and there are a lot of people that wear a Black Lives Matter shirt that, that work on a lot of black issues outside of police violence. Like I, I, I have to compose you a list, but I know I've worked with a lot of them locally. Okay. Uh, and the police violence isn't their thing. Okay. Uh, they focus on other issues, uh, the root of you know crime and violent behavior. So the conversation is is happening. I think in the social media age, we confuse attention with action. True. Well, people are doing something because this is what everybody talking about. Yeah. Now there's action happening at the root. It's just not getting as much attention. So mm-hmm. uh, shout out to all those great organizations that are, are doing it. But again, I go back to, um, you know, if that's what they decided that they wanted their purpose to be about, then we can't hijack the, you know, the message of that organization. Anytime um, I started a foundation, a few years back. And anytime you start a foundation, you have to turn in your, um, not your bill of rights, but your, you know, your purpose and your, you know, what you're going to be about. So if that's what they decided to write at the top of theirs, we can't hijack it and tell them what to be about. I think anybody who has a problem with what they're about, again, you should start your own organization and not be dismissive of what their purpose is and, and say that they're not doing this, doing that. Well, if you're passionate about it, start an organization and we'll support your effort. Mm-hmm. But don't, you know, don't hijack another person's purpose and be dismissive of what they're saying because, you know, your personal feelings. And I think we get a lot of people doing that. So I, I hate everything about people saying all lives matter it, it's because it's, it's just dismissive like i said it's so a- so but okay so i'm i'm, I'm so I, okay let me, let me let me give an opposite side of this because right. I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit neutral here but let me take the sort of devil's advocate side right because there are a lot of people who feel the exact same way about the statement black lives matter not because they disagree with the statement itself you just said you hate when people say all lives matter i assume you agree that all lives matter right 
Right. And there are people who agree that all Black Lives Matter, but they hate the statement, they hate the slogan, they despise the organization because they don't think that's what it's truly about. So th- this is this is sort of where, again, where it comes to that, to me, that sticking point where I'm like, look, if there's actually going to be a solution to this thing, then people need to people need to unite. People just need to put those arms down and stop gunning at each other and just be like, look, all right, we want to solve this police brutality thing. Let's, let's, you know, rather than... They can't do it under Black Lives Matter? Why, if, can't, if, why, if, why, can't, why can't you do it under All Lives Matter? Because... You know I mean? <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, like yeah. there's two sides to it. There's two sides to it. Black Lives Matter was an idea. Yes. All Lives Matter is just a reaction. It's not an original idea. You're simply reacting to somebody else's idea. Mm. That's all. And I don't think that it's, um, I don't think it's genuine. It sounds good to some people. It's, it's easier to swallow yeah. to some people, but it doesn't get to the root cause. There's no other situation where responding with all would make sense. Just a few examples. You come home to your wife. Baby, I love you. She says, well, I love everybody. You take your car to the shop. Hey, you <laughs> car. All cars matter. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's valid. Fire, fire department. No, all houses matter. If there's no other I, I don't think these where are it fair, makes uh... any sense, it's just a reaction. All people need to say is stop reacting to it mm. and address what people are saying. People don't, people aren't going to be, people aren't going to be, yeah, the thing is people, people aren't going to be forced to go along with things they don't. But you know why they can't with. do it? You know why they can't do it? Because why? of the word black. No, I disagree. It, it, I, I know, I know, yeah. I know black people who don't like it, man. Yeah, <laughs> That's not because they have any problem with the word black. That I was talking about from the earth. Let's, let's try it on some other <laughs> uh, groups and let's see how it sounds. And tell me if you think everybody would get behind it. Okay. All police matter. All veterans matter. Yeah. All children's lives matter. Let me take off the all. Mm -hmm. Children's lives matter. Mm -hmm. Puppies' lives matter. Mm -hmm. Veterans' lives matter. Sure. They would would march for that, no problem. Cancer survivors' lives matter. Mm -hmm. Everybody would get behind that. But Would you get get behind white lives matter? Why would I have to? Why wouldn't you? Why why wouldn't you? statement no but why why would you not here's here's what i say as a statement that wouldn't make any sense because i don't know what white people are going through as a collectively that they need to uh step out and march but i do feel that white lives matter and i live it i don't make it as a statement i live it i live it because i don't get in their way i don't harm them i don't kill them i don't stop them most most white people ain't doing that to black people either most white people are harming and killing black people I, listen, I, I can show you a lot of videos. Man, we need to do a part two, man. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna need to do a part two, man. We're gonna need to do a part two. <laughs> but this was this was great, man, and and, and I, I understand, but uh, we're we're gonna disagree on um, some of the ideological. Difference. But I think uh, it's interesting to see uh, the perspective from from overseas, which I do feel is different. I got to get you to this Birmingham. You you fly me to Birmingham, England, <laughs> and uh, we'll 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 have a part two and three. In awesome, those. I'd be I'd be happy to. I'd actually be happy to. Yeah, awesome, man. And um, before we go, where where can people find you online? 
I got the same social media handle on all the apps uh, at Funny Main, F-U-N-N-Y-M-A-I-N-E. Um, anybody watching, I'm not from the state of Maine. I'm from Alabama, but my name is Jermaine. So that's where Funny Main comes from. Awesome. Make sure you follow him on social media. You know what? Before we go, one question, because this is kind of burning on my mind. In your mind, what would a successful future for what people call Black America look like? What would, what would you like to see as a sort of end goal that you would deem successful? Uh, more ownership, uh, more, more economic power, which uh, economic power and freedom within the community, which I know will bring crime down. Uh, it will help our schools. It'll help morale. It'll help everything. But right now, uh, by and large, we're being shut out of the power end of economics in this country. That's not to say that some of us aren't doing well. But like I said, when we don't own a lot, us doing well only means that we've got more money to give to non-Black people. <laughs> so I would like to see us uh, have more economic independence. Awesome, man. It's been funny, man. Thank you so much for coming on the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. We will speak. God bless you, brother. This was great. Thank you. God bless, man. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang. Y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.